Here at Westridge Church, our sole purpose and desire is to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for deciding to join us in worship through one of our messages. We pray this message will be supplemental to your daily commitment to Jesus. To find out more about Westridge Church or to connect with us, check us out at westridge.com. I know you think you know the story, and I know some of you that were here yesterday for Hope for Christmas, and and you may be feeling a little tired, but I, I want you to try to put yourself in the story just as much as you can today, okay? If you're, if you're married, if you're single, whatever your circumstances are, just imagine this is you, especially the guys, okay? Because this speaks to us today, all right? You're engaged to this little gal. So excited. Wedding is going to be in May, December 14th. We're getting married on a Tuesday in May, Tuesday the third day, the only day God blessed twice. That's why it's got to be a Tuesday, and so we're going to get married then. But she approaches you, and she says, um, listen, I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. Now, a whole lot, especially for us guys, a whole lot of stuff goes through our mind. Now, ladies, I can't relate to as, you as much as far as you trying to get up the the gumption to, to let him know that this has happened, especially when you consider the idea that what's going through his mind right now is, this is not my baby. I mean, I'm no, this is, this is just, it's not, it's not, it's not my baby. So whose baby is this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Wasn't expecting that answer. And he's, all these things start going through your mind. We were going to get married in May, and now you're telling me it needs to be January so that the dress looks right. And so, I mean, I don't understand. How do we get from there to, to there? And this is a small town, by the way. I mean, everybody is going to know about this. Everybody. What do I say to the guys? You know, I mean, the, any, any guy. What do I say to the guys at work? What do I say... What am I going to tell my parents? What did you tell your parents, by the way? Could you give them the same story you gave me? What is the, how is this even possible? And when she tells you how it came about and what, what she was told, and now she's passing this on to you, you just absolutely look at her and you've got nothing to say. Nothing. Speechless. And you just walk away. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 gives us a little bit of this story and a little bit to jump off of to imagine how the conversation went with Mary and Joseph. And I love how Matthew starts out, pretty matter of fact, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, she was engaged to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So that's the first thing that went through Joseph's mind. But as he considered these things, maybe after he walked off speechless, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he, Joseph, he named him. He called his name Jesus. Now, I want you to just imagine Joseph today. I want you to think about things from his perspective. I want you to kind of walk in his shoes, if you will, and just understand, I mean, this is a guy probably 20 to 25, and he's a, he's a carpenter. At this point, he may just be a, a carpenter's apprentice, and he's got, he's got good plans for his life. But some conversations change everything, don't they? I mean, there are some moments that alter the course of your life, some things you, you never saw coming. Maybe you, you have something like that, where your life was headed in a certain direction, and then you are faced with a circumstance that you didn't see coming, and now the whole trajectory of your life seems to have changed. Maybe it's a, a boss that calls you in one day and says, your job has come to an end. Maybe there was a conversation with a spouse where they walked in and said, I don't want to be married anymore. Maybe they confessed an infidelity. Maybe some of you have experienced a, a doctor's call where the doctor says, hey, listen, I, I know you were in here yesterday for this test, so you're going to need to, I can't give you this over the phone. You need to come into my office. We need to talk face to face. And many of us have experienced the, that sudden call letting us know about the the sudden death of a loved one, someone we weren't prepared to hear about. I mean, there are some things that absolutely jolt you out of your current reality and change the course of your life. And for Joseph, this wouldn't just change the course of his life. This changed his identity. You see, in your translations, it says that Joseph was a just man or a righteous man. It's actually a very specific description for a very specific type of guy in the first century. Joseph is what is known as a Sadiq. He's a guy who is studying the scriptures as much as he can. He loves it. He loves all the laws and the commandments of God. He loves studying the prophets. He loves studying Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wants to do everything that is in there. He loves keeping all the feasts. I mean, depending on how old he is at this point, he may have been the kind of man who was hoping that one day while he's working, a rabbi would walk in and say to him those two words that so many guys in this time would want to hear, and that is this, Joseph, follow me. It would never happen now. It would never happen now. No matter what he does at this point, he has completely lost his reputation. It will always be in question. As everyone else from the outside looking in looks at this circumstance and hears the explanation of this circumstance and said, there's absolutely no way. So there's kind of two kinds of people, two ways to refer to people in, in the first century in a town like Nazareth. You were either a Sadiq, a just, a righteous man who wanted to pursue this with all of your heart or you were just an Amharetz. You're someone who really didn't take any of this seriously at all, and that's probably how most people felt about Mary. What if God asked you to give up something like your reputation, your identity, the thing that you believe makes you who you are? What if God asked you to give up something that took you a lifetime to build? What if God asked you to lose it all so that you could gain something that otherwise you would never, ever see coming. It's what it means to be a disciple. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, the closest ones to him, the 12 guys that, that walked with him on this earth for, for a period of time. And, 
and they're having this conversation about Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And oh, by the way, I'd like to sit here and he can sit here and, and put that guy away in the back. And, and here's the deal. I just, I want to know how important I am to you. And Jesus stops the conversation in Matthew chapter 16. He says, listen, guys, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, listen, if you want to follow me, then I'm in charge. You see, following Jesus is not a self-help plan. Following Jesus is a self-sacrifice plan. They're having a similar conversation in John chapter 12, and Jesus says this. He says, truly, I tell you, I tell you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus gives a very simple illustration, one that we can all understand even today about what it means to follow him and to have a life that even though you felt like is fine going in this direction, a life that if you trust him with it and you allow him to do what he wants to do with your life, it can bear more fruit than you ever imagined. I mean, for centuries now, when a farmer's planting grain, they really, they just plant it very simply, just one seed at a time. And in the first century, they would be very familiar with this and farmers would walk along and literally just kind of one seed at a time in some broken up soil and then cover it back up. In fact, today in the breadbasket of America, this is still really how it's done. I mean, not by hand anymore, but in Nebraska and South Dakota, these big grain drills, maybe you've seen pictures of, maybe you've seen some video of somewhere, these massive machines. What these massive machines are doing very quickly today is that they are putting grain in the ground one seed at a time. And over a, an, an acre of, of land, a farmer might would put a couple of bushels of seed. But the return that he would receive back would be 40 to 50 bushels. You see, the point that Jesus is making is not just that a, when a grain of wheat dies, it generates life, is that it generates so much life. You see, on our own, we can generate some good things. But Jesus is using this illustration to say, when I am in control, I can promise you there will be a return and a, and a way of living and, an, and fruit that you would never otherwise be able to produce on your own, life to the full. And in order to have this happen, in order to experience this kind of life where it just generates so much fruit, so much life for the kingdom of God, some of you today who have got good plans and who have been trying to work your good plan, and it's left you very unsettled and very unhappy, some of you today need to try to, to pray a prayer I want to give you. It's very hard. You may want to write it down, but perhaps I think you should memorize this. It goes like this. Dear God, I quit. I mean, truly, dear God, I quit trying to figure this out on my own. Dear God, I quit trying to be in control on my own. Dear God, I'm going to quit trying to solve my marriage on my own. Dear God, I quit trying to leave you out of my finances and expecting things to be different. God, I, I quit trying to make all my decisions without coming to you. I absolutely quit. And God, I want to dedicate my life, a life where you are in charge, and I want to have a life changing relationship with you, God. The God of the universe is saying, let me have control and watch what I'll do. I mean, what a proposition. 
And I don't know about you, but when I'm in control, when I'm doing things my way, there's no peace. I mean, I don't even understand some days what I'm supposed to be doing, God. I mean, there's this unsettledness. There's this stress. And at this time of year, it tends to rear its ugly head more than at any other time of year. I mean, this is supposed to be the season of peace. But whoever said that said that before they went to the mall. I mean, there seems to be, I mean, we've got good plans. We've got good ideas for how to handle this time of year. We've got good ideas for how to handle any day because let's just be honest, we're good people. You're good people. We can figure this out together. But we know in our hearts, the harder we try, the more we try to take things on our own, no matter how good and noble we are, peace will never be found in our own plans. Peace is only found and following God's plan for your life and seeking him and asking him what that is. Even if you can't see the whole picture, just being able to take the next right step. Joseph's got a good plan. He's a carpenter. He's going to be able to provide. He knows God's word. He's a good guy. He knows the book. But then he got engaged. And man, you add the woman to the picture, and this thing just, she's got a whole different plan. I didn't have this plan. I mean, Mary approaches him, and he walks away, speechless. And he comes up with a good plan. The plan that Joseph came up with was not to stone her, okay? That would have been an acceptable plan in the first century. His plan was not to publicly humiliate her or or kick her and her family out of town. Instead, verse 19, Matthew says that Joseph, being a just man, being a Sadiq and and willing to put her to shame, he just resolved to divorce her quietly. We'll just keep it down. Because if he does this, then he may can keep on with his plans, right? I mean, he's got got a story to, to tell. I mean, this was not my fault. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the reason she's pregnant. And so he brings it to the guys in the small group and says, guys, you won't believe what she hit me with this time. I mean, this was crazy. I thought the, the wedding invitation list was long, but this is, I mean, this is a whole different deal. And so they bring it out and they pray together. And, you know, two of the guys in the circle are saying, let's go ahead and stone her. I mean, we haven't gotten to do that in a while. And, you know, it's the first century. And so, you know, it sound, that sounds interesting. And so, uh, let's just send her out of town. Let's, let's, let's make her move to another city somewhere. And then, you know, a couple of the, the wisdom voices in the group, and, you know, it's a men's group, and they're praying together, and there's, they're having a biscuit and coffee, and so they, they're feeling good about things, and they, they take a vote, and they say, oh, just divorce her quietly. That's how this works. So that's what he decided to do. That's Joseph's plan. It's a good plan. It makes sense. Don't you feel like you've got good plans? Life makes reasonable amount of sense. Until you get married, then maybe it makes a little less sense, but still, it makes a reasonable amount of sense. He's got a good plan, but it's not God's plan. So God lays out the plan. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This always messes things up. Saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. And you, by the way, 
from their sins. And here's Joseph. Mary's giving him the news. He's just trying to figure this out. I mean, come on, you've got to be kidding me. He's faced with losing his reputation. He's faced more than likely with some form of alienation from his family, from his community, from his friends. I mean, he's been trying to figure out, what do I do about Mary? And now an angel clarifies this. Joseph, this is really, the question is not really, what do you do about Mary? The question, Joseph, is what are you going to do with Jesus? Joseph, what are you, you going to do with Jesus? Now, I wonder how many of us have, like Joseph, we feel like we've got good plans for success, for contentment, Good plans we feel like will come up with peace in our own lives. You know, I mean, we work the peace plan, right? Typically goes with, you know, let's talk about how long we're going to spend with your in-laws on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve versus my in-laws and, and that uncle. And that, if we can limit ourselves to two hours there, we might have some peace at Christmas. We might, you know, we come up with all of our plans. We come up with the financial plan. You know, if we spend this much on this one because we like them a little more and this much on the other one. I mean, we can, if we balance all this out, we may can do some Christmas this year without any credit card debt or any of that kind of thing. I mean, we can... We can figure this out and try to have some, some peace this year. Truly. And I don't know how some of you are wired. I, I imagine Joseph is wired a little like this. I don't know how many of you guys or gals or whoever have, have, have written out the five-year plan. Have you done this? We have a, fi- we have a plan. There's, we have the retirement plan. We've got the, the plan for the next car, the plan for the next house. We've got the plans for the, for the kids. We know what they're going to do. We're writing out the plan. We had like a good date together and came up with the plan. And so we're feeling good about it. And God's looking at you and going, you didn't ask me about the plan. And he's laughing at our plans. He loves us. It's, a, it's not making fun of you. He's laughing with you, really. God's like, please, I know you feel like you've got a good plan, but what about my plan? And it's so simple to me. But Joseph, he had to hear it from an angel in a dream. But when he heard it, this spoke to me from God's word this week. It's very, very simple. I know it seems inevitable, but it's not necessarily in my life. Joseph woke up. He woke up and he obeyed immediately. He'd been given this opportunity to do something with Jesus. And he woke up. I know that some of you in this room, a lot of you in this room, have been in and around this book your whole life. You have been in and around this story your whole life. You've been around church services your whole life. You know, you know the songs. You, you know all of this stuff. But God, out of his love for you, comes to you again this time, placing Jesus in your arms. And he says, what you need is not your plan. You need my plan. And what you need is a spiritual awakening. An awakening that comes from answering the same question that Joseph was forced to answer. Joseph, what are you going to do with Jesus? See, when all of us get to the end of this life, we're not going to be asked... How many times did you go to the church? How many prayers did you pray? How many times did you 
take communion? Did you do more good than bad? Do you know the book? The key question for everlasting peace and salvation that overrides all the other questions in this life is what are you going to do about Jesus? In every season, it's all about him. Only in Jesus can we secure everlasting peace. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation can we secure the true identity that God wants us to have. Child of his, a personal relationship with him. But what about peace for today? What about peace in the middle of this busy season? What is preventing you from experiencing peace right now? And for some of you, your lack of peace comes from the lie that God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. You've even walked in here today and at some point you have just felt like, you know, this will make me feel a little better for a little while, but really and truly, I just don't think God wants anything to do with me. Maybe you know in your heart, maybe there's a sin problem. Maybe there's a Something in your life that every time you come to moments like this or you're in a a moment of prayer, even just out of desperation, but any time that heaven attempts to crash into your daily reality, you come to this moment and you say, yeah, but God, there's the thing that you know I do and then I'm not sure that I can give up. God, I'm not sure you're big enough to actually forgive me of that. Maybe some of you, I mean, you come into a church and all, all you think about is, person that at some point hurt you the most and maybe they were in a church with you and maybe you're hanging on to to bitterness for some of you that struggle with hurts and habits hang-ups different forms of addiction this time of year is is where you lean back on those things because this gets so stressful trying to please people and trying to make it to every party and every function and all the things that the kids got going on you so you go back to what you can lean on that you feel the most secure in some addiction that you go back to again and again and again to try to cope rather than going to God for peace. Second Chronicles chapter 30 says, for the Lord God is gracious and compassionate and he will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. It matters not how far away you've gone. It matters not what's in your life today, what you feel like is, is keeping God from being pleased with you. If you turn to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps from all of these things, you have stopped believing that God can have anything to to do with you. Listen, nothing disrupts our peace in the present more than the shame of our past. There's a, in 1792, there's a story of a man who was born, his name is Joseph Moore. And he was born as an illegitimate child to an embroiderer in Salzburg, Austria. And to be an illegitimate child in that environment would mean that you would be denied education opportunities, you would be denied vocational opportunities. I mean, there was no way you were going to get an apprenticeship in town. It didn't matter what you did. I mean, you were pretty much condemned to live kind of isolated on the outside of the world just by you coming into the world the way that you did. I mean, you had so much shame attached to you from the very, very beginning. But Joseph is able to find acceptance in one place. Thank goodness, the local church. And in the local church, someone looks him in the eye and says, you matter to God. And so you matter to me. And I believe God has a great plan and purpose for your life. And a local pastor sees some great potential 
inside of this young man, helps him get an education. He grows up and he decides he wants to go to seminary. Well, that was absolutely off the table from the very beginning. I mean, there's just no way. You're an illegitimate child. There's just, this cannot happen for you. And the pastor of this local church continues to mentor and continues to walk through life with this young man and, and helps him to be able to get into a seminary. He's musical. People hear about his musical abilities and they, they watch what he does. He writes things and they actually put his musical talent in play in the local church. And getting ready for Christmas services one year, just a couple of days before the services, he scratches out a, a poem and he hands it to a friend. He says, listen, if you put this to music and if you can make it sound good, then I think we can do it in this year's Christmas service. And so the words were put to music and the song Silent Night was born. When you think about the song Silent Night, don't just think about that beautiful night when Christ came in to earth. That song is a reminder that every single one of us have God-given potential to become a part of a story that you cannot even begin to imagine once God has control of your life. That song is a reminder that every single one of us come in contact with people on a regular basis that we should take the boldness and the opportunity wherever we live, work, and play to look them in the eye and say, you matter to God. There's no place you can go apart from him. He loves you today. No matter where, you, where you've come from. First, first John chapter three says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. And for some of us, there are different moments when our inability to find peace doesn't have anything to do with sin, but it has to do with our lack of obedience. Perhaps God has put something in your heart to accomplish, to be a part of, someone to, someone to reach out to, someone to share the kindness and the grace of God to. And for whatever reason, just the fact that truly that, that God put it on your heart and that it's something that, that God wants you to be a part of and it's just the next right step. You don't have the big vision, the big plan. You've just got kind of the next little act of obedience and it's something that keeps coming back to you over and over again, again and again and again and you just can't find the courage to do it and you don't really know why but you just don't believe that you have what it takes. But God is saying, listen, I know you feel like you've got a good plan and I know this may not make any sense to you but I've got a plan and it may stretch you more. It's going to cause you to rely on me more, but my plans are always going to be better than your plans. Like Joseph, maybe you can't quite wrap your head around the idea that God would want you to part with some part of your identity, to do something that in your part of the world, your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, that you feel like is contrary to your reputation. And let's be honest. A lot of times when God puts things on our hearts, it seems like his timing is way, way off. But what if God asked you to give something up so that you could gain something more? And can I point something out? Kind of, I want to be respectful. I don't mean any disrespect to Joseph. He's a fine guy. But God didn't need Joseph. Right? I mean, they're not married yet. It's a virgin birth. We don't really need Joseph. I mean, we could have used some other compassionate man in Nazareth to make the trip to Bethlehem. 
Could have been another guy from the line of David. Could have, God could have used anybody. The only requirement is a donkey. Have you got a donkey that will make it to Bethlehem? In fact, honestly, imagine if the story were different. Imagine if Joseph had divorced her quietly, if he had just done that. And then some other guy had come along to decide that he would take on Mary and adopt her baby. We'd be talking about that guy. We'd be fine. But Joseph would have given up the opportunity to be a part of the story. But to have this opportunity, he had to humble himself. He had to be willing to sacrifice his reputation, his identity. He had to give up comfort and security. And then, once you do that, everything's going to work out great. Right? I mean, they make this 70-mile trip as their crow flies. They get to Bethlehem, and God didn't even call in the hotel reservation. I mean, truly. I mean, wouldn't you think that God would just take care of that? But no. They get to the inn, and an inn, by the way, a large part is just like a fenced-in area for caravans as they're traveling through. It's just going to be animals. It's just going to be people that have been traveling a long way, maybe a little lean-to in the back, maybe a cave in the back. We don't know. But even that thing was overcrowded. Look at the story that Joseph finds himself in because he was willing to lose whatever he had for the sake of what God had put on his heart and for the sake of being a part of God's will in the world. Unless we as followers of Jesus are willing to lay aside our own plans and open up ourselves to God's plans, we'll never know peace. And we'll never be able to be a part of a story where we can say God made something beautiful even out of craziest and messiest of circumstances. You see, God wants you to have salvation in your life, eternal security, eternal peace. But just as much, he wants you to experience living peace in whatever situation you might find on every given day. And every day we have the opportunity to decide what we're going to do with the smallest acts of obedience. Isn't it amazing the way the Holy Spirit puts things in our hearts from time to time? And we either decide we're going to go along with this or just let it pass. You know, a lot of times the picture of Joseph in nativity is different than what I imagine. I feel like Joseph gets kind of a bad rap in the, in the nativity. Do they have a nativity in your, at your house? I mean, honestly, in most nativity scenes, you have to like pick up the figurine and look at the bottom and go, oh, that's Joseph. Because they just make him look like one of the shepherds. I mean, you know, he's kind of standing there over top of Mary. He's got the staff in his hand and it's just... Oh, he's not a shepherd. That's, that's Joseph. I mean, I have this picture in my mind of this guy, 20 to 25 years old, who may, think about this for a second, who may have had to play the role of midwife, truly. I mean, he may have been the one to deliver baby. He, who knows? He may have been the very first one to hold him. So standing there in the smell of hay and barn animals is Joseph thinking to himself, what am I going to do with Jesus? What do I do now? 
I can remember when my boys were born, especially remember when my firstborn child was born, my son, Will, and I've got two boys, Will and Wesley, and with the circumstances around Will's birth, they handed him to me first, so I got to hold him before Angela did. I'm standing there with him with all this gratitude and all this love and joy. I sang a little song over him, and there's really only one thing I know for sure as a dad in this moment, only one thing. I can't give him back. And wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be strange? I mean, for a guy to just, to just say, listen, um, yeah, I don't know what to do now, so I'm just going to thank you, nurse, for this lovely gift. Um, and um, if, thanks for cleaning it first and, and things. And, and, but I don't do diapers. And um, the feeding thing is, I know. Um, I, I don't know how we're going to work that out. I don't know. I'm going to lose sleep over this. And so here you go. Thanks for coming. Isn't that what we do, though? God hands you the truth of his word. God gives you his son. And we all get the opportunity to consider in our life. You're getting the opportunity right now to consider. What are you going to do with Jesus? I mean, you're not supposed to give him back. But there's so many times we open God's word or we hear God's word in a situation like this or God lays something on our heart and instead of of receiving the gift with joy and saying, God, thank you, I don't understand and I really don't know everything to do right now, but I'm so excited, I'm just gonna take the next right step. Instead, so many times we just give it right back to God and say, no, I'm out, I'm out, this is too much. And there Joseph is standing next to Mary, holding him. What are you going to do with Jesus? Joseph, what are you going to do with that other name that was used? Remember the one the prophets talked about? What are you going to do with Emmanuel? God with us. What do you have to worry about? Why is there so much disruption in our peace? Why do we try to give him back so much? Why do we walk away so much? Why do we refuse to obey so much? What is it when he has promised to give and he has given God with us? What if you live today? What if you parent today? What if you love your spouse today? What if you take on the the job that you weren't sure you were gonna take, but God has has given you this opportunity? What if you go down the street to the neighbor who you know needs the touch and the love of God and the grace of God in their lives and God's put it on your heart? What if you go today and say, you know what? God is with me. Emmanuel is with me. God with us. There's nothing that would stop me if I give him control, if I follow his plan. Don't give Jesus back in this season. And don't lose the miracle, the greatest miracle of all. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is with you, with you. Every day, you can know the peace of God. Every day, you can become a part of a story that you never saw coming, but the story that you'll find yourself in is one that you'll be pleased to just allow God to just keep writing. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Today, some of you have been around this your whole life. And I want to talk with you for just a moment that with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, those of you that have been around the story, you know so much of the book, you know the songs. I want you to know that God sent his only son for you and you have to make the decision plain and clear. What are you going to do with Jesus? God sent this baby to, to grow to live a sinless life so that he could die on the cross for your sins. It's personal for you. Don't just walk away from it. Don't just be around the season and hand Jesus back. Rather accept it as God's personal gift to you. Accept his son as his personal gift to you. If you've never prayed to put your faith and trust in Emmanuel today, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that right now in your own words. Just pray something like, God, today it's different. God, you've prompted my heart this way before to make this personal. So God, today I don't want to just be generally around you. I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple. I want you to come into my life. I, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that it's not just a good general story for the world, but it's for me. So God, I put my faith and my trust in that. I believe that his death and his resurrection has covered me and given me an opportunity to experience new life, both now and forevermore. If you prayed, if you prayed today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you please right now, would you let us know by taking out that Get Connected card and filling that out, taking it to our help center in just a few moments when we close and we just want to help you take the next right step. We don't know the whole story for you. We don't know the whole picture for you. But we know that God is with you. And we want to help you take that step. You can take it out to the help center. You can come down and join one of our prayer team members at the end of the service on either side of the stage. We'd love to pray with you. One more thing, because there's a different audience in here as well. With heads bowed and eyes closed. There's you, follower of Jesus. You who prayed previously in your life, you know you've crossed the line of faith. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your eternal security. You still, still struggle with peace. The question today is what are you going to do with Jesus today? He forgives past sin and past hurts. He heals those things. He is not done with you. He will never cast you aside. He will never leave you or forsake you. He has plans for you. Some of you don't know his peace because you've resisted his plans. You've handed them back time and time and time again. Would you in your heart before God say, God, here you are again. Put a family member, a neighbor, co-worker in my mind. Put my school on my heart. 
shown me how I'm supposed to lead at home and love at home. You've shown me what I'm supposed to do time and time again. So God, today I surrender my plans and my attempt to make it right on my own. And God, I trust that your Holy Spirit is gonna continue to give me your plans as I continue to obey. I am going to take the next right step. And God, I want you to give me the one after that and the one after that. Just one at a time is fine. I want your plans, God. I want your plans. I wanna make that clear now. This is, this is the moment where I make that known to you, God. No turning back. No turning back. Follower of Jesus, if that's you today, would you allow us to cement that with you? Come down and pray with us after the service, but share it in your small group. Share it in your home. Let us be different because we've been handed Jesus. God, today, thank you so much for the story of a man who gave up his plans and received yours. God, thank you that every aspect of this Christmas season and this Christmas story, God, from your word is so beautiful, it's so creative. It's more than we could ever have come up with on our own because God, you want every single one of us to know it's for us. God, may we live in such a way that we believe it, that we know that Emmanuel is with us every day. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.